0: which is the, the love of the Father. Like I said, we were so blessed to be able to set up the opportunity to have Sergey and Victoria and the kids come in a couple months ago, only to find that the week that they were going to come in, not only is it Communion Sunday, but it's a week that we're talking about the love of the, the Father. And, and our scripture today is from 1 John uh, chapter 3. It's only three verses. So what we're going to do, we're going to take these verses uh, just one at a time, And we're going to kind of talk through them and just see what John has to say for us. Verse 1 says this, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. You know, this word behold is, a, is an old English word. It comes from, it's, it's very popular in the Greek and the Hebrew. And you'll even see it sometimes in, in some of the, uh, the Romance languages. So, for example, my, my grandkids and my daughter-in-law, and my son-in-law, uh, speak Spanish. Spanish is their first language. And they'll say, mira, look, look. And that's what behold says. Behold says, wait a minute. I want you to look at something. In fact, the actual word in the Greek means look into my eyes. Look into my eyes. It's kind of like the same thing that you do with a small child uh, that might have had too much sugar, uh, that might be doing something, they're playing, and you're trying to get their attention, and, and finally the mother goes in front of their child, and they say, look, I want you to look at me. Because when they look at you, all of a sudden you realize mom's got something to say, right? Well, this is what John's saying. He says, behold... I'm telling you something that you really need to know, and his topic is on the love of the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And if you get this, this is going to change your life. It'll actually change your life. You know, the thing about the Father is this, is the Father, who our Father is, is critically important. Uh, not only spiritually for us as believers in Jesus Christ, but for every child born in the United States and born around the world to know who their their father is. If they don't know who their father is, uh, they're going to miss out. Uh, they're truly going to miss out. You know, children without fathers don't have that identity. They don't understand. Christians, the same way, without understanding who God the Father is, they're, they're going to miss out. Without knowing who God the Father is, we have no lasting security. We have no assurance of heaven, no real reason for hope. If you don't know who your, your father is, all you can kind of relate to is, is maybe your nationality or your occupation. Say They say, who are you? Instead of the saying, well, I'm a child of God or I'm a, a child of my father, we have to relate to our, our nationalities. Well, I'm Jewish or I'm German or I'm Polish or, or maybe I'm a carpenter or an attorney or a doctor or a lawyer, whatever that is. And, and it's, it falls so short of who your true identity is. You know, John says your, your true father is God. God is your father. And, and not only that, but he, but he loves you. You know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount uh, which we'll, we'll talk about as we go through Matthew. On the Sermon on the Mount, he calls God his Father and identifies God as the Father no less than 16 times. Now, what's remarkable about that is, from the Jewish perspective, that's not something they thought. They revered God, and the whole idea of God was so, ho- so holy, so far above us that they didn't even pronounce his, his name. In fact, even today, if you read, um, if you read people that are read, writing from a Jewish perspective, especially a religious Jewish perspective, instead of saying the word God or typing the word God, they'll leave the middle vowel out. It'll be G underscore D. G underscore D. And, and I have a tremendous respect for that reverence that they have for God. But at the same time, I feel sad that they don't know the love of God as a, as, a, as a father. You know, before Jesus, almost no one called God Father. It just wasn't done. Before Jesus, the New Testament, author, after Jesus, the New Testament authors that we read call God the Father. But see, here's what happens when the father isn't known. Think about our homes, our households here in the United States and around the world. Uh, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, and I've talked about some of these before, and they're, they're painful statistics. They, they really are. Over 24 million children in the United States, close to one-third, one-third of all the children, have no father or stepfather living in their household. They're growing up without a dad. They're growing up Out knowing their father. Now, the primary cause for this is unfortunately what we know, the large growth of unmarried women giving birth. And since the 1950s, back in the 1950s, remember the 1950s? In the 1950s, less than 20% of all births in the United States were to unwed mothers. Today, across all national groups and all age groups and things like that, it's over, it's more than double, it's 42%, 42%. Now that's including all peoples and all ethnic groups and all racial groups across the United States. If we go to our inner cities, inner city Detroit, inner city Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Chicago, as high as 90% of the children that are born are born to single moms. And what's the result? Well, we know what the result is. The decline of marriage and the rise of fatherlessness in America remain at the center of some of our our biggest social problems that we have. Crime, violence. Failures in school, deaths in despair, uh, and despair, children living in, in poverty. You know, regarding pop regarding poverty for, for the way the World Congress of Families just recently testified uh, to uh, to to Congress in Washington D.C. and this nonprofit advocacy group that's highly respected. It's an NGO out of out of England uh, testified that ninety percent of the world's poverty is attributed to the decline of the traditional family. Now, there's many people that don't want you talking about the traditional family because they they want to champion same-sex marriage. They want to champion anything other than what the Bible has to teach. But if they take a look at the statistics, they'll find that the lack of the traditional family leads to to ruin. 63% of all suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. Uh, With no father present, uh, children are 32 32 times more likely to be homeless, more than nine times more likely not to finish high school. But let's turn back to what the scriptures have to say. Let's bring this back to knowing God as the Father. When we say God is our Father, we need to remember one important thing, and that is that you've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been grafted in. Just as a, as a child is brought into this world, and the mother and the father embrace the child because it's flesh and blood, God has chosen to adopt us. You know, the Jewish people were the chosen people. Abraham, God told Abraham, he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But there was a promise made to Abraham that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the Jewish people couldn't figure out exactly what that meant. Maybe it was through their ingenuity, maybe their patents, maybe their military might. No, it was because through Jesus Christ, the doors have opened up. Jesus Death on the cross was for every nation. There's no longer Jew, nor Gentile, nor Greek, or or free. There's no longer male nor female under Jesus Christ. We're all created the same, and all of us have the opportunity to be sons and daughters of God. But we've been adopted. We've been brought in. We are now the chosen people as well. This is what 1 Peter says. It says, Peter says, but you, all of us, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, God has done this marvelous thing through Christ. He, he promised that, again, through Abraham, all the nations would, would be blessed. But now that blessing means that we get to call God, the Father, Abba. Abba, which is a term of endearment. It, it means daddy. It's the closest thing is, is our term for daddy. And it's not just calling somebody daddy. It's the, it's the, it's the process of climbing up on your dad's lap. And being embraced and putting your arms around him and knowing that you're safe and you're comforted in your love. That's, that's God the Father. Jesus said we can call God the Father, Abba. Let, let's continue. The verse says this. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. You know, this is a very special love that God has, much more than your earthly parents can possibly do. The love of the father is the love that seeks the lost. It raises the dead. It welcomes the prodigal son. It forgives the sinner. He sent his only son. He gave, to, gave sight to the blind, promises his children that they will be with him forever. This is a, a divine manner of love that we don't get anywhere else. And that's the love of the father and understanding who God the father is. You know, also, when you think about it, having God as your father is very practical. Because we don't have to worry. He owns everything. He has everything. He can provide everything. By his spoken word, he spoke the universe into existence. This is why Jesus said, why do you worry? You can't grow an inch. You can't do anything by, by wearing. Why don't you just take a look at the lilies of the field? Look at the birds of the air. God provides for them. How much more will he provide for you? You know, without knowing who God the Father is and understanding his provision for us, we often will look to the government. We'll look to the government. We'll look to subsidians. We'll look for some other people, maybe winning the lottery in order to provide for ourselves. But but when we understand that God Provides for us. That's another one of these behold moments, isn't it? All of a sudden it says, Wait a minute, look into my eyes. I've got something to tell you that I love you with such a love that I I provide for you as well. Now, God is the Father of all, and that's true. In many ways, all people are children of God because God is the Father of all, but we uniquely, who know Jesus Christ, understand that our Heavenly Father is the good God. John says, I've written to you children. This is John, uh, the the previous chapter. I've written to you children because you know the Father. See, how do we know the Father? Well, we know the Father because we know Jesus. Uh, Jesus told us in, in John 14, he says, if you have known me, you've also known the Father. And from now on, you have known him and you have seen him because you have seen me. And see, this is critical. Our relationship with Jesus Christ allows us to know God the Father. And if we know Jesus Christ and we respect him, then God knows us as well. But we have to be careful because Jesus said this. He says, whoever denies me before men will also be denied by my Father in heaven. So there's this, there's this relationship that we have through God, to God the Father, but it's all through Jesus Christ. When we know Jesus Christ, we've been adopted, we've been chosen. Let's continue, still in verse one. It says, for this reason, the world does not know us. Did you see that earlier? The world does not know us. Have you ever thought about that? How does the world not know us? Well, a couple of different ways. One of the ways of looking at it is that, you know, the, the, the most common way of understanding this is that if we understand that we know God the Father through Jesus Christ, and that makes us a Christian, one of those those people that understand the Bible, that understand the truth of the Bible, um, those of us that teach that and follow that are highly regarded in heaven. Just as we brought missionaries in today and God has a special place in in heaven for them, a special reward for those missionaries that that share the gospel with other people. They're not highly regarded here on earth. You know, we've gotten the the privilege of knowing some of the stars of Christianity. Christianity some of the pastors that are household name among Christians, some of the the singers and songwriters that the Christians applaud and go to see their concerts. But you know what? They can travel throughout the United States pretty much incognito. There's no paparazzi after them. There's nobody following after them, trying to take pictures of them and trying to find them because they're unknown. The Bible says, for this reason, the world does not us, no paparazzi but there's another reason and I think it's this I, I think that your relationship with God is so important to you so important to you that you're not infatuated or obsessed with the things of the world you know the world is into pop culture that's why they call it pop it means popular it's popular among the people you know my wife and I will turn on the tv and there's pop culture going on or they're talking we don't know what the slightest idea what they're talking about I don't know who those people are. I don't know who the stars are. I don't know who does hip-hop or who does country. I don't know those people. I do know some of the Christian artists. I know who they are. But the rest of the world doesn't know us because they don't know him. And that's the other reason. Let's go on to to verse 2. Verse 2 says this. It says, Beloved, I love that word. Now we are children of God. And it has been not yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, when I was putting this sermon together, I couldn't figure out where I was going to start because those two first words are so key. The first one is beloved. Beloved is used in the Bible often. Beloved was the way the way, that, the, uh, uh, the, the way that, the, that David talked to his, his bride in, 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 the, in the Old Testament. It, it's the whole idea of, of, "I love you so much, you are my beloved. you are on my, my heart. You are the ones that I'm thinking of in the morning when I get up and you're on my mind when I go to bed. Well, a beloved person in the Bible is one who is dearly loved. Uh, the Old Testament I was thinking was Song of Solomon. Um, Israel, by the way, in the Old Testament is often called the beloved of God. It means that God has, has chosen them and, and loves them with an endearing love. Um, but the word I, I wanted to point, point to is, is the word now. It means right now you're a child of God. Right now you're beloved. Right now you are completely loved. There's nothing you can do in the future that will make God love you more than he loves you right now. That is, of course, conditional that you know who the Father is because you know Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming back again, makes you beloved. And right now, you're a child of God. Just as a, a child is adopted into a family, and they love that child regardless of anything else, they love them just like they were one of their own children, one of their, their, the, the, something from their own loins, their own blood, their own DNA. We've been chosen as well, and we are now beloved, and we are children of God. Now what's interesting, it says this, it says, it has not been revealed as yet what we will be. Uh, that's interesting. You know, when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, the Bible says that we're quickened. Our, our spirit changes. We are a triune person, body, soul, and spirit, and our, our spirit changes. It was dead, and now it's alive, and it's in Christ, and our spirit changes, and that's our, our connection with the Holy Spirit. But our body is going to be changed, but the Bible doesn't tell us much about what that is going to be like. It hasn't been revealed to us. That's what it says. It has not yet been revealed on, on, on yet what that will be. But we know that John is talking about something. He says, we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. Oh, I like that. I, I like it the, the fact that I would be like Jesus. You know, all since I've known Jesus and since I've been, I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's come into my life, I know that one of the things that he's trying to accomplish in me is to try to make me more and more like Jesus. But there will be a time at the resurrection that we will be more like him than we are now. We're not sure exactly what that is, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him. The Bible makes it very clear that this is when he appears when he is revealed. This is a mystery. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, it's difficult to understand what that means that we'll be like him. You know, this, this, this resurrection is very key. The, the early church talked often about the resurrection. Remember, Martha and Mary both knew of the resurrection when Lazarus died. And the early church talked often about the resurrection. Unfortunately, over the centuries, more and more we talk about heaven. But the key part about heaven is the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. Now, some people attribute that to the fact that back in the olden days, now the olden days is before our time, right? In the olden days, life was so difficult, so difficult. It was so easy to be maimed, to be crippled, to be blind, to be sick, to be infirmed, that people would yearn for the day that they would have resurrected bodies that would no longer be subject to decay no longer be subject to decline, that they would have the vigor and the vitality that they needed at any moment. And I think sometimes we've lost that. We've lost that a little bit. But I think there's also a spiritual thing going on because even though the kind of body is not specified, it's very, very clear that we will be like him. We will be changed. There will be a, a resurrection. Both the early Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed state the belief in the resurrection of the dead. Again, popular culture tells us there's a heaven and likely no hell. Isn't that something? Popular culture today believes in a heaven but likely no hell. Did you know there's actually more references to hell than there are to heaven? Isn't that something? More references to hell in the Bible than there is to heaven, but popular culture wants everybody to believe that somehow we're going to be, to be in heaven. The Bible teaches the resurrection. Our resurrected, glorified bodies will not be exactly like the body we have now. We know this. Our new bodies will be immortal, spiritual, powerful, eternal, and heavenly. That's all in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's continue. I don't. Verse 3, you'll have to read it. It says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Interesting. Kind of thrown there at the end. Everyone who has this hope. What hope? Hope in knowing who Jesus Christ is, and as a result, we know God the Father, the loving Father. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is here. Now, what this does not mean is that we purify ourselves in order to know God. That's not what it says. It says, because of this, we purify ourselves. You know, one of the things that's interesting is the Bible says that God will give us the desires of our heart. Have you ever heard that scripture verse before? I remember the first time I heard it, I loved it. Because I, I, I had lots of desires. I don't know about you. At the time, I had desires for a Lamborghini. I was thinking about maybe a new Cobra Mustang. I wanted a house on the hill. You know, this was before I lived in Celebration, but I want one of those big houses, you know, with all the decorations. The decorations come with those houses, don't they? I hope so. So that, that's those were the desires of my house, my, my heart back then. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible says that God will give you the actual desires. You see, over time, I found that some of the things that I once held so dear to me no longer matter. The things that really matter to me are the things that God has put on my heart. Those are the things that really matter. Now, my, the love of my family, my friends, my ministry, our volunteers, what I get to do, the Bible itself, those are the desires of my heart. And that took time. That wasn't overnight, but God, over time, gives you the desires of your heart. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that it motivates us, and this word is to be pure. Well, I'll close with this. Just remember, you know, there's a saying that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? And we know that. We know that going back to the statistics that those families with children that are growing up in abusive homes with fathers that are more likely to beat them rather than tell them how much they love them often have the same type of problems as they grow up. They reflect what their father does, right? If your father or your mother have alcoholism in their their life, you're more likely to be an alcoholic. If they have substance abuse issues, the same thing. They're more likely to have that. But the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Well, our tree says God is pure. God is pure. God's holy. If we know that God, our Father, who loves us, is holy and pure, we're much more likely to be holy and pure as well. Now, the church I used to go to said that the reason we stay and keep ourselves pure because at any given time, the trumpet will sound. You know, <laughs> and, and that may be, that may be. I think there's a lot to be said that we, those that are looking for his appearing, people that are looking for his appearance, think about it this way, have that desire put in them by God. And if God is putting that desire in you to look for his appearing, he's putting other desires in you as well those desires that are pure and holy and sanctified. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.